Good afternoon, students of Georgia Tech. My name is Jesse. I'm from up the road in North Carolina. We're standing here in the free speech zone. I know it's kind of away from everyone and maybe you cannot hear me, but I'd like to take a moment nonetheless and share with you a message today, a message from the Holy Bible, God's Word. I'm not here to yell and scream. I'm not here to act like a clown. I'm not dressed in combat gear with a whole bunch of banners and signs. I'm just here with the Bible in my hand and I'm hoping that maybe as you walk by today, you will hear some seed of truth from God's Word, the Bible. You see, the Bible's not just some man-made book. It's not like your science textbook. The Bible is the revelation of God, a special revelation of God the Creator from heaven to earth. God writing through men moved by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. I want to read a passage to you today from Hebrews chapter 4 in the New Testament. A claim that is made concerning the Word of God that no other religious book claims for itself. Some claim to be from God, but they're full of contradictions and full of prophecies that never came true. But the Bible makes a claim about itself right here. A claim about itself that I dare say it goes on and backs up. It says here in the Word of God, Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is quick and powerful. That means living and powerful. It's a living Word sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. What's this? It's my information. I'm not taking people's information today. Sir, sir, no, sir. This is not about... What am I this going to do? This is about talking personally, not, not publicly. I don't think, well, I'm, I'm talking publicly. You're talking publicly? Yeah. I, I'd like to have a personal conversation. Well, my, you'll talk to my friend over here. I'm preaching. You're kind of interrupting me. It's kind of rude. Wait, wait, I'm not interrupting anyway. I'd yeah, like you to have a personal conversation with when, you. When I'm done preaching, I'll be happy to, okay, to share with you. Enough. I don't know what I'm going to do with that information. So. Okay. You can talk to my friend. So, you know, when somebody's publicly speaking like your teacher, you don't just interrupt and go up and, you know, if your teacher's talking, what's that? I'm like, I like to preach, and, and you're not being sensitive to my feelings, sir. Shame on you. You need to repent. I know you want to just mock the Bible. That's all you want to do. Again, it's written here, for the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. My friends, God's Word can discern your thoughts and your intents. God's law speaks to your thoughts and your intents. Our Creator doesn't just look on the outside. He judges the thoughts, the intents of the heart. Where do you stand before Him? When your deepest, darkest secrets are revealed. The Bible says, Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. 
Why? Because God will bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or evil. It goes on to say here, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight. The Bible spoken of as a person here. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Bible spoken of with a personal pronoun, my friends. Personal pronoun. It's more than just a book. I know many of you would mock the Scriptures and say it's just a man-made book and it contradicts itself and contradicts science. These things aren't true. There's no contradiction or error in the Scriptures. There may be something apparent when it's taken out of context, but when you dive into it and read it, interpret it Scripture with Scripture, everything is progressively unfolded. One progressive theme, one truth, without contradiction, without compromise. Real observable science is not in conflict with the Scriptures. In fact, the Scriptures, the Holy Word of God, made scientific statements long before man-made science discovered scientific truth. For example, the book of Isaiah speaks of the earth as being a sphere, a circle. Just like this was written a thousand B.C. and man for many years thought the earth was flat. Science said the earth was flat. God's Word said it was a sphere all along. The Word of God speaks of the benefits of running water to protect from disease long before our European forefathers in the Middle Ages discovered that disease was spread through using stale and standing water in times of war and sickness. The Bible's one book, my friends. It's not just a collection of random writings. It's not just a study in randomness as can be said of the Quran and some of these other writings that say one thing on one page and then completely contradict themselves on the other. God's Word, the Bible, is one book. Seven great marks attest to this unity, my friends. From its very beginning, the Bible gives testimony to one God. Not many gods. Not one God in the Old Testament and another in the New Testament, but to one God. Not a God. Not a demigod, but one God, the Maker of heaven and earth, the Creator of all things. The same of whom it is written in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, is the same of whom it is written at the end. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, the first and the last. Whenever God in His Word speaks or acts, He's always consistent with Himself. How are you today, sir? Just talking a little bit about the Lord today. If you'd like a gospel message, it's free for you. Wherever God speaks or acts in His Word, my friend, He's consistent with Himself and with the total revelation concerning Him. He's not distant, unknowable, and inconsistent like the God of the Quran who cannot be known, who says one thing in one place and then changes his mind. God is not as a man that changes his mind. The Bible not only gives testimony of one God, it forms one continuous story. Not a collection of random myths and tales, but one continuous story, the story of humanity in relation to its Maker. The story of humanity in relation to God. Every page of the Scriptures speaks to this story in one form or another. 
Another mark of the Bible's unity and its supernatural quality is that it hazards the most unlikely predictions concerning the future. And when centuries have brought about the appointed time, it records their fulfillment. The Bible is full, my friends, of detailed, specific prophecy uttered at the mouths of God's prophets from the Holy Spirit hundreds, sometimes thousands of years before such unlikely events would occur. And then as the time goes by and God gives revelation, additional revelation down through the centuries, the Bible records the fulfillment of these unlikely predictions in a way that there could, have not, there could not have been coincidence or man-made collusion. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet comes to Hezekiah, the king of Judah, after he's gone and boasted in his treasures and his riches to ambassadors from Babylon, long before Babylon was ever a mighty kingdom in the days of Assyria. And the prophet comes to the king and tells him that a day would come when the very people you've shown and boasted of your treasures will come into this city and carry it away captive. My friends, that didn't happen for more than 150 years. And just as it was predicted, so it was fulfilled. People's names in the Scriptures, my friends, recorded long before their birth. The Bible makes an unlikely prophecy in the book of Isaiah concerning Cyrus the Persian who would give the Jews permission to take, to return to their homeland and rebuild their temple. That was more than 200 years before the birth of Cyrus. Even before Babylon was a mighty kingdom. More than 48 details in the Scriptures are recorded about the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. Some long before His birth, specific details that seemed quite unlikely. So unlikely that when they were fulfilled, the people of Jesus' day who knew the Scriptures couldn't believe them. It was written in the prophet Micah 500 years, 600 years before the birth of Christ. 700 years actually that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, an obscure village on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And that from Bethlehem would come this Messiah, this anointed one of Israel. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, my friends. The star gave testimony over the place of His birth. The angels appeared and gave glory in the presence of those shepherds. All was fulfilled. In the prophet Zechariah, 400 years plus before the birth of Christ, Messiah is spoken of as one who would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. So it happened. Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, betrayed the Son of Man for 30 pieces of silver. Just as it was written, specific unlikely details. In the Psalm, Psalm 22, it is written of Messiah that He would be pierced in His hands and His feet, crucified. David the psalmist wrote this a thousand years before Christ and two to three hundred years before the Romans even invented crucifixion as a form of execution for the common criminal. So friends, fulfilled prophecy time and time and time again recorded in the Scriptures, fulfilled in history is a great testimony to the supernatural origin of the Scriptures. 
It was written of Christ that He would be born of a virgin. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and you shall call His name Emmanuel. 700 or so B.C., Jesus was born of a virgin. The angel came to the Virgin Mary in the town of Nazareth, told her she was highly favored among women and would give birth to the Son of God, just as it was recorded. So not only is the Bible one book, my friends, it bears witness to one God. It forms one continuous story. It hazards the most unlikely con predictions concerning the future. And then when history brings about the appointed time, records fulfillment. The Bible is also a progressive unfolding of truth, my friends. Nothing is told all at once and once for all. God's Word, like the crops in the field. It's first the blade, then the ear, and then the corn. Without even the possibility of collusion, and often with centuries in between. One writer of the Scripture will take up an earlier revelation, add to it, lay down the pen, and in due time another man moved by the Holy Spirit, and another and another adds details, good morning, until the whole is complete. A progressive unfolding of truth that does not contradict itself. Revelation revealed as man, as, as God intended man to have it, to form one complete whole, from Genesis chapter one to Revelation chapter twenty-two. From beginning to end, my friends, the Bible gives testimony of one redemption: the redemption of sinful man by a holy God. A redemption prophesied right there in the Garden of Eden in the very beginning and then brought to fulfillment in eternity with the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, the Anointed One. From beginning to end, unlike the religious books of man, the Bible has one great theme. One great theme, the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, even in the book of Genesis, Jesus Christ would be the one to come and crush the head of the serpent. In the book of Exodus, Jesus Christ is like that Passover lamb that covers the sins of those that believe. The law of God points to Jesus Christ, a shadow of all that is true and holy. Jesus Christ makes His appearance throughout the Old Testament as prophecies are given and miracles are done, pointing to the birth of Messiah. He's born, He lives a perfect life, performs miracles to prove He's the Son of God, and then raises up from the dead something that no other prophet or no other author of man-made religion has ever been able to do. He raises up His church. He empowers them to take the Gospel throughout the world. And then He comes again to set up that kingdom a literal, physical kingdom to rule and reign in righteousness and to put down all wickedness and sin from beginning to end, my friends, the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, an unanswerable proof about the divine inspiration of the Bible is that these authors, these writers, around 44 in number, writing across 20 centuries, separated by distance and time, some of them lowly shepherds, some of them mighty kings, some priests in God's temple. 
some of them farmers, pickers of sycamore fruit, some of them just a bunch of cussing sailors, inspired by the Holy Spirit, have produced a perfect harmony of doctrine in progressive unfolding, something that cannot be said for the religious books of man. It cannot be said for the writings of Buddha. There's so many writings of Buddha that they compose thousands upon thousands of scrolls in these monasteries spread across the world. Random sayings. Not a progressing of unfolding of truth without contradiction. The Quran from the very first surah to the last contradicts itself time and time again. The writing of one man. The Book of Mormon, the writing of one man. A man who peeped in hats. A charlatan that performed magic tricks and then claimed to receive some revelation from God. That's not the Bible. God in His Word spoke to us not through one man, but through 44 authors separated by great distance and time so that there could be no possibility of random collusion. And in doing so, the Holy Spirit gives us a progressive unfolding of truth. Revelation. The story of redemption. The hope for mankind and the judgment of the world. That's why it can be said that the Bible is quick or living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing even asunder soul and spirit and of the joints and of marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I'd say this is the textbook of textbooks. Final exam is the judgment seat of God. God bless you, sir. Are you ready? Have you studied the most important textbook of all or have you just thrown it aside having decided in your mind that it's nothing but a fairy tale? Never having cracked the cover to see for yourself because all you know how to do is swallow hook, line, and sinker what you're fed. Having lost the ability to think critically. I would encourage you, my friend, to seek out of the book of the Lord and read. It's written there in the prophets. Seek out of the book of the Lord and read. I chose to sit down one day many years ago and see what God has to say in His Word. He changed my life. He changed my life. My friends, the Bible is that two-edged sword. Read it and live. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe, my friends. Practice it to be holy. You see, this same Word of God, this quick, quick and living Word of God that can change, cross around your neck means nothing. means nothing. It's just a religious symbol. means nothing. This same Word of God that is quick and powerful and that can change your life will also judge the thoughts and intents of men. Jesus said when He walked this earth, he said, if any man hear my words and reject them, I don't judge him. I, I came into the world to save it, not to judge it. But he that hears my words and rejects them already has a judge. That judge being the Word of God, the Word that was spoken. And it is written that that same Word will judge us in the last day, my friends. If you mock the Word of God today in life, it will mock you in your death. If you scold and reproach the Word of God today in life, it will scold and reproach you in eternity. But if you'll humble yourself before the Lord, draw nigh unto Him through His Word, the Bible says that God will draw nigh unto you. 
The Bible says God will draw nigh unto you. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. If you'll humble yourself before the Lord, He will lift you up. And He will change your life as He does mine, as He did mine. I'm not speaking today of religion. I'm not speaking of man-made righteousness or good advice. I'm speaking of eternal truth recorded down through the centuries, inspired by the Holy Spirit, preserved by God. My friends, the Bible has more ancient manuscript evidence than any other piece of literature in the history of mankind. In fact, the second, number two on the list, you can count the manuscript evidence on your hands and fingers. I mean, your fingers and toes. Thousands and thousands of biblical manuscripts, some dating long before the birth of Christ, give testimony that the book I hold in my hand today is the book that God gave by the Holy Spirit to His prophets and preserved for us. Supernatural, testi supernatural testimony. Supernatural revelation. Aside from the Bible, you know there's a God. You don't need this book to tell you that. The problem is manifest all around us. The problem is revealed to all men in creation. Nature. The trees, the mountains, the, the water. The complexities of the animal kingdom and of the human body. These things give testimony. Self-evident truth that there's a Creator God. A designer. An uncaused cause. It doesn't take much common sense to realize that dirt plus time plus water does not equal complex living creatures. So it's self-evident truth that there's a God, a, a Creator, an Almighty One. It's also self-evident truth, my friends, that all is not well between the Creator and His creation. We can look around and see the corruptions and the wickedness and the problems, the trials, the tribulations, the sufferings of this life. The same things that Buddha saw and sought to escape. Endless suffering. The pinnacle of which is death. All die. Ten out of ten die. Death is the inevitable, sure end of all men. A clear testimony. A clear testimony that all is not well between the Creator and His creation. There's a problem. You don't need a Bible to tell you that. That problem's personal. It's personal. It manifests itself even here today. When someone offers you good news and you shake your head and keep walking. The problem of your conscience. Given to you by God. You can hear your conscience every day. You know it's wrong to lie and to steal. You know it's wrong to lust. To covet to hate, all of these things that we know are wrong because our conscience bears witness. But we do them anyway. And then our conscience condemns us. A warning bell. A warning from God that the problem is personal, that we're guilty. That's why the Scriptures say that even the Gentiles, which have not the law, they have not the law written down in the Scriptures, are a law unto themselves. These showing the works of the law written on their heart, their conscience also bearing witness. So friends, these, these general truths, this problem between the Creator and His creation, 
These self-evident truths are there for all to see. But that general revelation given to all men, it cannot save us. It only condemns. That's why God gave mankind special revelation. The Bible. The answer. The solution. Redemption. Redemption from the verdict of creation. The curse of sin in our conscience. And that redemption is for you if you will but hear it and receive it. Religion is something to be earned. The Bible is, the message of the Bible is a gift to be received. But if you will not receive it, if you will mock and scoff, this same Word of God that can give you life will give you death. For it is written, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. It's none that understands, none that seeks after God. God bless you guys today. It says in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's not a just man that walketh the earth that does good and sinneth not. And the wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. That's why we die. People can just hear the Word of God and keep walking, but you can only walk so far. Because your path will lead you before your Maker eventually and you'll stand before Him. And you'll make all sorts of excuses as to why you didn't know. Or as to why you're good. Or as to why your goodness is just as good as His. And He will say, depart from me, I never knew you. No excuse will stand. It says in the Scriptures that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of man who hold the truth or suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That means to stick your fingers in your ears, spiritually speaking, and to keep walking. It says, For the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that no man has an excuse. God has revealed Himself to us. He's not only given us general revelation of Himself, but He's given us special revelation of His character right here in the Scriptures. Easy for you to obtain here in America. Some of you smile and smirk and think it's a joke. I thought that way once. The Lord radically changed my life. But it's God who gets the last laugh. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, it says in the Psalms. He'll laugh and have those that mock Him in derision. God is not mocked. Hey, my friend, God bless you. God is not mocked. His Word is not mocked. It's proven itself true time and time again. It's like a mighty lion. I don't have to stand here and defend it. I don't have to argue for it. It's like a lion caged up, hungry. Open that door and let it loose. It can tear the flesh and break the bones and defend itself. Many here today would boast in their education or knowledge they have attained or perhaps in their job or their career, an American 20th century invention that doesn't bring happiness. Some would boast in man-made wisdom. But the Scriptures say, let him that boasts boast, boast in this that the Lord is God. Let him that glorieth glory in the Lord. And I know you can't understand that. 
God uses the foolish things of this earth to confound the wise. And I know some of you walk by and laugh and mock. That's okay. I love you anyway. I know you can't comprehend it because God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. But I'll tell you this, this preaching today, this preaching of the cross may be foolishness to those that perish. But if you're walking by and you've been saved by the Lord, you know that the gospel is the power of God. I don't care if you think I'm a fool. I am a fool for Christ. He changed my life. Who's fool are you? You're a fool for the education system? You're a fool for your teachers? Are you a fool for religion? Are you a fool for your boss? He doesn't care about you. He just wants to use you. Are you a fool for the American dream? Are you a fool for the things of this world that surely will pass away? He that does the will of God will abide forever. The will of God is to believe the Word of God, to take Him at His Word. And that starts, my friend, by opening His Word and seeing what He has to say to you. But maybe you're not interested. That's fine. God's not a beggar. Your Maker's not a beggar. He doesn't need your allegiance to be glorified. He doesn't need your adoration and worship to be glorified. He's glorified in Himself. He's glorified in Himself. The fact that He would offer a salvation is testimony of His mercy and grace. But if that grace and that mercy is spurned, there is no escape from God's wrath and judgment. The Lord is a wrathful God. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble to those that trust in Him. But a righteous judge all the same. And our goodness can never measure up to the righteousness of God. His standard is perfection. If man's righteousness at its very best state were to be described in terms of the color white, Man's righteousness would be white like the wool of a sheep, like the wool of a ewe lamb. Put that sheep out there in some brown grass and some green grass, it looks white, looks pure. But God's righteousness isn't like the white of a sheep. His righteousness is like the freshly fallen snow. So if you take that sheep that would stand for God, man's righteousness and put it in a field of freshly fallen snow, that you lamb doesn't look so white anymore when compared to God. That's why the Scriptures say man at his very best state, in his very best of morality, is vanity. Is vanity. That's why even the prophets say they, they, they sought forgiveness. Because before God, even the best of men is nothing but vanity. But unlike the gods of man-made religion, the maker of heaven and earth, my friends, can make you clean. Something that the gods of man-made religion are unwilling or unable to do. The Bible says, God speaking, Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. I swear by the words that go out of my mouth, that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear, so that a man might say, In the Lord I have righteousness and strength. God says He can make you clean. But you've got to want it. You've got to want it. God provided the means to cleanse us from our sins, to make us righteous, and to give us life. 
the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as it was recorded in the Scriptures, this supernatural book, God stepped into space and time 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Not just a man. Not just a teacher. But Almighty God in human flesh, just as it was predicted. Born of a virgin. Born in Bethlehem. Of the tribe of Judah. Raised in Nazareth. One who performed miracles to prove His claims about Himself. He opened the eyes of the blind, healed the sick, raised the dead. Eyewitness testimony left and right. Some of you just walk by with a stupid look on your face like this is the stupidest thing you've ever heard. I'm not surprised. That's what sinful hearts, that's how they respond to the compassion and love of God. That's what they did to Jesus Christ. Though He loved many, though He healed many, though He showed compassion upon the masses in fulfillment of prophecy, they crucified Him. They killed the Lord of glory. But just as it was written, just as it was written in, these, in this book, and then Jesus Christ proved every claim He ever made about Himself, when after being crucified as an offering for sin, got up from the grave, a living Savior, not a dead prophet, with a tomb that can be visited this day, but a living Savior. It was written in the Scriptures that the Messiah of God, His soul would not see corruption. That God would make His soul an offering for sin. And He'd be buried with the rich in burial. But He would raise again. And that's why He said, I am the resurrection and the life. If a man believe in Me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. It's a spiritual birth, my friends. The most important type of birth. That which is natural passes away. But the Spirit endures forever. The Spirit of some will endure forever in eternal damnation, separation from God, judgment. And the Spirit of those that will receive this free gift of salvation shall endure forever in the presence of God and His holy angels, in the presence of the Lord of glory. Friends, this is the theme of the Bible from beginning to end. The glory of Almighty God as manifested in the redemption of sinful mankind. The riches of God freely given to those that don't deserve it through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The righteousness of Almighty God as manifested in the judgment of the wicked. Salvation for those that will repent and believe. A means by which God is glorified just as He's glorified in His Word, just as He's glorified despite the rejections of men, despite the mockings of men. Will you taste and see today that the Lord is good? Will you taste that honeycomb of His Word? Or will you spurn it and reject it and mock it? claiming that you can't believe in something you do not see even though you believe in things you do not see every day. Historical figures and claims made in your textbooks, things you can't possibly test. You'll buy it hook, line, and sinker, but you assume that to believe the Bible is to do something different than you do every day. Make no mistake, without faith, faith is believing what you cannot see, trusting 
Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. The Bible has much to say about faith, something that we fail to comprehend in our comfort zones today. Some of you have it so good, you think, and you think that the life you've built for yourself is rock solid, the foundation of stone. My friends, the things of this world will pass away. There's no security in the American dream. There's no security in government. There's no security in education and science. Science changes its conclusions every day. There's no security in religion. There's no security in politicians. All of these things we put our faith and trust in every day. But there is security in the Lord. Some of you laugh at that right now, but God has the last laugh. He does laugh. It's written in the Scriptures that he that sitteth in the heavens will laugh. The Lord will have those in derision that mock Him. And I'm not talking about some man-made God. I'm not talking about the God of the Quran or some man-made God that a guy constructed in his own mind. I'm talking about the Maker of heaven and earth. Jehovah Elohim, God Almighty. In the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. written over here in the book of Acts. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, as religion teaches. Neither is He worshipped with men's hands as though He needed anything. God doesn't need your worship. He doesn't need your adoration or your religious ritual. He giveth to all life, breath, and all things. And He hath made of one blood, one race, all nations of men, for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed, and the bounds of their habitation. You see, man can't overthrow God. Man cannot overthrow the plan and purpose of God for history and the ages. He may think he can that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after Him and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. My friends, the Maker of heaven and earth, transcendent above His creation, is imminent. He be not far from any one of us, if we will seek Him. For in Him we live and move and have our being. Even sinful man recognizes that we are the offspring of God. For as much then as we are the offspring of a Maker, a Creator of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone or graven by art and man's device. See, that's what man does. He makes gods out of images, out of creatures, out of men. We here in America, we don't bow down to idols of stone and wood and earth, but we've got our idols, the American dollar, for some of us, the idol we worship is our professor or sports figure or mankind in general. 
God's winked at this ignorance in times past, my friends, but now He commands men everywhere to repent. Why? Because the Maker of heaven and earth has appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He hath ordained. Who is that man? Whereof He hath given assurance unto all men that He hath raised Him from the dead. That man is the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul the Apostle preached this message, it says that the crowd, when they heard of this resurrection of the dead and of this Jesus, that some mocked. It's the same today. Why is it when, that when the good news of Jesus Christ is told, some will mock, some will laugh, some will spurn, some will smirk, and yet God's arm is still outstretched, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord, the day of His judgment, written here, it will come. Despite your mockings, despite your doubts, it will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall be dissolved, and the earth will melt with fervent heat. And those that know the Lord, those that follow Him, those that believe upon Him, they look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And my friends, that's good news for all men. The Bible is redemption for all men. God doesn't exist to destroy you as the gods of religion do. God's not willing that any should perish. He wants to grant unto you eternal life, but if you will not receive this gift, then judgment, eternal death, and hell are a just reward. A just reward. The fact that God would even give you His Word, that He would even warn you of His judgment, is a testimony to His mercy. The gods of man-made religion, they don't warn, they do what they please. These devils do what they please, when they please. Thinking only of themselves. But there's one who rules and reigns above the gods of men. For all the nations of the earth are idols, but God made the heavens. He sees all. He waits because He's merciful and kind and gracious. But justice will be served because He's a righteous judge. He's not bought with money and influence. He's not bribed as the judges of our society. Our founding fathers here in America understood these things. They understood the importance of having a society governed by God and His Word. In fact, James Madison, the one who drafted the rough draft of the U.S. Constitution, said that our national security as a nation wasn't dependent upon military or armies, but dependent upon the people's ability to fear and believe and live the Word of God or the law of God. Thomas Jefferson, many would accuse of being a deist. A deist believed that there maybe was some sort of a God and he created the world and then like a watchmaker, he left it to run on its own and had nothing to do with it thereafter. That's what deism is by definition. You can read Jefferson's own writings, his own quotes inscribed on the memorials in Washington, D.C. and see that he was no deist. In fact, at the Jefferson Memorial it is written, I fear for my country when I consider that God is just and that His justice does not sleep forever. He feared for His country when men would forget that freedom like salvation is a gift of God and therefore spurn it. My friends, freedom is a gift from God. Our nation has been blessed with freedom. A gift. A gift we do not deserve and we have spurned it. That's why we'll allow our liberties to be taken away bit by bit in the name of safety. 
and spurning freedom as a gift leads to imprisonment. It leads to bondage. In the same way, if we spurn God's gift of salvation, that leads to eternal bondage. Jefferson would say, how could we forget that freedom is a gift of God? I would say to you today, how could we forget and reject the fact? I'm sorry that you would give that back, sir. That's life from the dead. It doesn't have to be that way, my friend. Well, you, you speak very foolishly. Be ye saved, my friend. It doesn't have to be that way. As long as there's breath in your body, you can be saved from even the most wicked of sins. But God's not a beggar. He's a great king that rules over the whole world. He will not beg you to come to Him. He offers you salvation. He commands you to repent and believe. But every decision that we make has consequences. Some of them temporary. Some of them eternal. And the most foolish thing you could do is put your fingers in your ears and ignore your Maker when He speaks to you. Hell is real. It is real. That's why men fear death. Even the most ardent of atheists, when faced with death, imminent death, is fearful. Fearful. You can just go look at the last words of some of these men who boasted in their knowledge and in their agnosticism. Their last words, the last thing they said. And you'll see that fear, that fear that catches up with us all. There's an escape. There's an escape from God's judgment, and that's Jesus Christ. I know some of you think that's a joke, and you smirk and laugh, and walk by and you mock, and that's fine. I used to mock the Lord. I used to mock His truth. and I don't know why God saw fit to save me. I don't deserve it. But He changed my life and gave me a desire to share this good news with you. Not to come out here and scream at you and pretend to know your heart. I don't know your heart. God does. But to declare unto you His truth, to warn you of His judgment, but to assure you that there is hope in Jesus Christ. Not the gods of men, but the God of creation. Truth. There is absolute truth. Some of you would say no. You would make an absolute statement like that and then claim there's no absolute truth. There is absolute truth. And truth is self-evident. We may throw it in the streets here in America as Israel of all did. Good may be evil, evil may be good, truth may be trampled upon in the street, but God reigns supreme. As Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Your man-made gods can't save you. Buddha's a dead man. Muhammad's a dead prophet. Buddha would turn over in his grave if he knew that people worshipped him as a god today. All you got to do is read his own words. He spoke of a Creator as being someone that could not be approached unless the Creator decided to reveal Himself. This He did in the person and work of Jesus Christ. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There's a broad road that leads to destruction. Wide is the gate, broad is the path, as Jesus said, that leads to destruction. And many there be that follow that path. 
Straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to life. Few there be that find it. Few there be that find it. Because men love their sin. They love themselves and their pride and their arrogance and their fornication, their homosexuality. They love, their, they love their, uh, the oppression of the poor and the oppression of the righteous. They justify the wicked and persecute the moral and the righteous because that's the nature of man, rebellion against God in every culture, in every nation, even in those nations where God has revealed Himself and blessed the people therefore making those that reject Him all the more deserving of His wrath, damnable in His eyes, as America is today. Some would say, God bless America. God save the United States. We deserve His justice and His wrath. God is not an American. It's not even a Republican. He's a king that reigns over the whole world. And just because you live in America doesn't make you any better than anyone else. It doesn't make you any better in God's eyes than anyone else. In fact, in fact, to whom much is given, it says in the Scriptures, much is required. The fact that you are here, that you get to study here, that you get to taste of the freedom and the blessings of this society and to sip of its affluence, that means you're all the more responsible for what you do with God's truth. For whom, to whom much is given, much is required. Humble yourselves today, my friends. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will direct your paths. The Bible says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Fear God and depart from evil. Thank you for listening today. I'm just a humble servant. Again, I did not come here to curse you, to point a finger at you and condemn you. Our sin already condemns us. If we reject the Gospel, we're already condemned. You know this. Your conscience bears witness every day. I just stand here as a simple testimony that God can take a wicked man out of a wicked world, change him, put him back in a wicked world and use him, empower him to do what's right, and bring glory to Him. And my friends, if God can do that for me, He can do that for you. If you'd like a tractor, a Bible, they're free. Thank you again. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May He make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord of heaven look down and grant you peace today. In Him is peace. Jesus didn't say like the prophets, be like me and I can show you peace or help you find peace. Jesus said, I am peace. Come unto me and I'll give it to you. Amen.